this thing on. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Hello? Hello? When you're ready. Do you mean? Yes. Oh, sorry. I was trying to find out about the character for my story. He is dead. So who the hell liked my, my tweet? He's dead. He died in 2011. I don't know who liked my tweet, but thank you for liking it. So call it Sutton, innit? <laughs> All right, we're going to get right on to that. Hi, Sind. Always Hi, happy Manet. birthday. How are you? Yeah, yeah. I am a bit sniffly today. Oh, baby. Yeah, it's been a rough, it's been a rough week, but we move. It's nearly Friday. It's nearly Friday. Um... Guys, welcome back to True Crime MC. Um, I don't know why I'm in this like fantastic mood, but I feel like it's Monet that's like bouncing that energy off of me. <laughs> it's definitely <not> me. <laughs> I feel like shit on a stick. Because I don't know why I'm in this bubbly mood, I swear to God. But um, one thing that I will say is that um, I really like it when this time of the year comes around because it actually just always reminds me of how long I've known Monet. And this is around the first times that like we met. And we built a bond and a friendship. And like every time it just comes around this time of the year, like I'm just always so like giddy inside because I've known Monet for 10 years now and Aww. she is one of my like closest, dearest friends. Like I'll do anything for her. So every time I think about like this time of the year, to me, it just makes me feel so warm inside. Oh, so dude, that's really, really sweet of you. <laughs> same, fine. same, kudos. It's fine, bitch. It's so fine. Kudos is not the word I was looking for. What's the word when you, you ditto? That's it. So today I'm sick, um, and I, I, I really am struggling to even get my my words together. So I meant ditto, not kudos. But yeah, ditto to you too, babes. I love you. <laughs> You're so sweet. You're so sweet. So um, what's gonna be you? What's up with you? Girl, you know there's always some sort of tomfoolery going on around me. Yesterday, the apartment block that I live in um, caught on fire. Oh no. So, um... How was that? Are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. I think this this cold is getting me even, like, more than the fire, but... Mm -hmm. That's... It's just insane. But we're all fine. Everybody's cool. Everybody got out safely. That's good. Um, and at the end of the day, we have our health and we have our, our lives and Amen. that is, all, that's all that matters, like material stuff and, and things like that can always be replaced. So always, always, you know, you, you are number one. You're such an asset in this world. You Aww. are your loved one. So it's good to hear that, you know, everyone got out okay and Thank whatever you. happened was resolved. Yeah. So let me tell you what happened. Please do. They think someone threw their cigarette off of their balcony without stubbing it out and the wind picked it up and it landed on someone else's balcony and then lit their balcony on fire smashed their windows and went into their apartment so people guys is that not giving final destination (laughs) (laughs) what are the odds do you know how many times i've stubbed out i'm done smoking and i've stubbed it out and i've thrown it out and thought nothing of it like yeah, but you stub it out. I think what happened is that they finished smoking and then just dashed the cigarette off their balcony. But I do that too. Like, I just literally think... I think oh, we've all been culprits of, like, not you know? just, like, 
like putting things out do you know what I mean mm-hmm. and just hoping for the best especially if you live like in a in like apartment block yeah like you feel like just throwing it off your balcony you go you go about your business you're not even thinking if anybody's walking on, like down below and they could get hit with that's your cigarette true. you know that's you're thinking that's not my business I, I'm, I'm done smoking you know whatever happens after sip I'm a problem do you know what I mean yeah for real but yeah <laughs> um luckily I don't think I don't think they were in the, the house it was it was quite early in the morning um and I think they'd already left to go to work but guys if you're having your morning sig Please. Morning stub, sig, stub that um, shit out. Morning zoo, anything like um just please stub it out because you know Yeah, I sound that like shit on a stick. I sound fucked up. It really went from like some nice warm weather yeah. to England telling us that yeah, October hasn't landed. Tomorrow is the first of October. Can you believe it? What time has flown by? Cindy, I'm not having your whiskey. I'm so sorry. Oh my days. <laughs> fine. Cindy's <laughs> trying to get me to drink with her. I usually I do, but today I'm on the honey lemon and ginger car. I'm feeling fucked up between the cold and smoke inhalation. Yeah, alright, man. Listen, I what is this anyway? What is this special with Oh, it's red. I mixed it with cranberry juice. Cindy, get out of here, man. I thought it came like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, um... How was your week? Hopefully a lot less dramatic than mine. My week has been okay. Good. Um, uh, there's nothing to read about home about my week. It's just been steady. It's been okay. Something um, steady. Everyone's okay. Everyone's doing well. Good. Um, I'm just looking forward into, like, like going into October. I've already told you that this has been an amazing year for me and I'm just so excited like for every like month like every month for me is kind of like opening a mystery door like oh my god what's on the other side do you know what I mean because yeah. it just keeps getting better so yeah. your lashes look really see. cute by the way thank you I got my lashes done by Yasmin Pink mm. um, it's lashes by Pinky she's such a lovely girl great customer service and yeah um, I had so much fun doing my lashes. She's so lovely. But yeah, yeah, they look amazing. Thank you, my got darling. got your hair, girl. You got your nails did. You got a little... I like this puffer jacket as well. Thank I like the colour. It's giving me very much autumn and winter has landed. Yeah, I've got... I, so, I... I've got two jackets that are suitable for the winter because I think you know me. Like, you've known me for a very long time. I, I don't believe in jackets, especially when it's cold. And I think it's because my immune system is so strong and I rarely get sick. Like, you'll find me walking around with next to nothing in the winter, but not this year. I'm getting older, man. So... Yeah, you got to be mine's not arthritis. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not as strong as the guys that rob the Hatton Gardens. Ma. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? Yeah, today... My watch, I don't know if it's because I'm feeling ill, but my Apple watch told me that I've got um low cardio um activity. And what's that telling you? It's basically you telling me that I have been inactive since I've been home from uh lockdown, the original lockdown, because I've been working from home. Um, I'm not as active. I can't. I used to zap up Oxford Circus um <laughs> stairs. I went there earlier. And it was giving me very much, Monet, are you in your 70s? Because halfway Girl. up there, I was thinking, my God, is, is God going to take me now? Like, should I have sent, you know, mm-hmm. have I, should I have left my will? Mm-hmm. Like, it's so, it's not good. So, so dramatic. I'm not going to go back to work um, on a regular basis anymore. Mm-hmm. My, my, my company have decided that they don't 
want us to go back and that we're able to work from home, which is really amazing. But that does mean that I have to be on it in terms of the fitness, really making sure that I get a walk in or a run in each day, making sure I go to the gym because guys working from home is all fantastic, but it's so easy just to be like really inactive and really lazy. And I'm going to go get Turkish food after this as I speak. So it's, it's, um, still my little Turkish day. Love me some Turkish. I'm yeah. in North London, so it's it's the best place to get it, in my opinion. Cindy, what do you mean? Do you remember that song? I used to actually do the whole dance with my mop and everything. Because remember, used to be like in the desert. Yeah, nah, I did. So I told you to clean, and you're doing this. Because we used to be like, was it in the desert or some sort of like massive like? kind of space it's that open space yeah yeah in it and then they'll just had, had the poles ding and they'll run around it ding 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 what you gonna do when you can't say no when the feelings got to show when I really need to know it how you gonna how you gonna handle it when she wants you back actually what are you gonna do when she wants you wants you back slap her up like when cousins has been sentenced to a whole life tariff he's gonna have to be in jail for the rest of his life thank you for the murder God. of sarah everett and that still isn't even enough let me tell that, you that that's right that's still really not enough he, no. he robbed a young woman of her future yeah of her career yeah of her relationship mm-hmm. of her family of her friends and you know he gets to sit in jail and think long and hard about what he's done but the bottom line is is that he decided to play god and take someone else's life and i i don't know this just i don't know what you think about this Monet, but like to me I just have this really strong feeling that this is not his first rodeo. Hell to the no. You're mad? Yeah. Listen, the way that that asshole planned that shit, like when we got the further details this week about how he planned it with the rental car, um, how he he was arresting her, um, you know, he drove her down to, to Dover, then put her into... Um, put her into his own car yeah. all these it was just too planned out for my liking yeah. and to be honest it was very premeditated and yeah. I think if you can plan to that to that level even if you are a police officer I'm sorry you you have intent and you definitely have likely done that before and yeah. as a police officer it's just so much easier to not get caught of course um you know he's arresting he arrested her on uh on uh covid restrictions and breaching covid restrictions and it's mm. just like you sat there and you thought out every fucking part of this, and and you went out and you prayed on a young beautiful woman. Yeah, it, it, it's it's for me. I think it's, I think unfortunately she's she's probably just the only one that we're finding out about, and um, hopefully the more that comes to light about this man and his um his behaviour, um hopefully more cold cases or you know things that haven't been on um haven't been solved will be able to be because. That guy in my liking. I'm hearing that he was called um, the rapist by his colleagues. By the women colleagues, right. and you know, prior to that, he exposed himself indecently uh-huh. and whatnot. Um, I can't stress this enough because it's the same thing with Sabina Nessa. Mm-hmm. I can't stress this enough. Also, such a horrible, horrible story, and a, a young, beautiful woman taken way too soon. What more can women do? Yeah. We walk on the streets where the lights are at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we put our heads down and sometimes we act unapproachable. Sometimes we ignore catcalls. Um, 
Because that is our right. Exactly. As women and human beings. Exactly. You know, we, 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 we get on buses and we, we sit somewhere where we can avoid like a whole group of men or we cross the road and we see a group of men and stuff like that. And it's like, but well, women are still being killed. And I, I really don't even appreciate with, I'm going to bring up Sabina Nessa. Like, I really don't appreciate the fact that um, her murderer was Romanian and they're, they're trying to... to to demonize her because firstly she was on her way to a pub like pubs don't serve soft drinks or pubs don't serve you know where you're on your way to exactly and they're they're doing that thing you know where they're they're just they're doing that thing where it's like she can't be a victim because she's a woman of color and to me it's just i'm so sick of the violence against women i'm so sick of that men don't control no one's body i am a 26 year old woman and i'm tell i'll tell you right now no man controls my body Mm. if i'm sitting there and i'm and i'm telling you i've given you no signals that i want your hands on me i don't even want a hug from you i don't want a pat on the back nothing don't put hands on me respect my body some man can't take that that's that's the that's the that's the problematic thing is like some some man feel entitled. entitled yeah um, and if you, if you don't respond to a cat call, if you, you know, don't smile when he smiles at you, you know, if you, if you don't want to whine with him in the club, you're the issue. And it's like, no, this is my body. This is what I want to do. Yeah. You should respect that. Um, a lot of, a lot of men can't take that. And a lot of, for a lot of men, it's also pride being in front of your friends and getting rejected. You know what? Sometimes I think while out or, or the plan to go and, take out your anger for, for women on innocent on innocent people that's it's insanity it's not it's, it's not right it's not right and i and again it goes back to a lot of these like serial killers and murderers and stuff like that like don't believe the hype with ted bundy apparently he was attracted apparently i don't see it but um <laughs> what you need to understand it's even is, disrespectful to zach Efron, i'm sorry exactly <laughs> it's a disrespectful to himself because he took that role but anyways <laughs> like but a lot of men are not very like, oh, I'm attractive. I'm going to do it for the sake of doing it. Mm-hmm. A lot of these these men that end up committing these crimes or end up harassing women are incels. You know, they sit mm-hmm. there and they're kind of like, well, I'm a good guy. I do this. I do that. I'm entitled to you. A lot of yeah, these men are just really the angry men that hate women mm-hmm. but still think they're entitled to their bodies. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, a couple of weeks ago, I went to brunch with one of my good friends and I was sexually harassed you know i, I was i'm sorry for, about that it's it's it's, it's not acceptable because and it's that's fine, it's, cause i threw a bottle at him it's fine <laughs> and again well rightly so but again it's that whole thing of what you, you think i'm going to try and touch you or move to you and, and you want to reject me how dare you it's yeah. like no like the fact that you feel in, like, entitled to that shows that you have actual issues because there's many yeah. a man that are able to move to women um and you know be able to say you know what okay cool i'm sorry i shouldn't have touched you like that or you know i'm sorry i shouldn't have spoken to you like that and and you know take that lesson and keep it moving but there's there's many out there that aren't able to and i'm sure unfortunately a lot of us women have had contact with at least one man and, and mm. for me personally it's been more than one man you know, that's been that. Exactly. And I think that's for the same for a lot of women where it's like, okay, you probably run into one man like that, but I'm sure you haven't run into just only one man like that. There's so many times, especially at uni, mm-hmm. in, in a club, like on holiday with your girls, like all these different things where man will feel entitled to you and then they're not able to, to handle the rejection or not able to handle the fact that things aren't going their way. And it's just, it's just, guys... 
if you know men like that or if you see people like that in your friendship group or you know you got family members like that like pull them up man like yeah. I, I feel like sometimes a lot of men will see certain things and not be down for it but won't be pulling their boys up about it and then you know when when things like hit the surface that's when you're like well, I always knew he was a weirdo. I always yeah. knew he was like the third. And it's just kind of like, we should have known he was a weirdo when he, he grabbed someone's breast right in front of you and you did nothing about exactly. it. Exactly. And I just think that a lot of this, I always tell you that a lot of this, this rape culture, like it stems from school and it stems from men having, uh, boys having urges and girls having urges, but mm. not being able to speak in the household mm. about certain urges because it was taboo to talk about sex. Mm. You know, you were hitting puberty and stuff like that and you you didn't understand what was going on. Mm. And the only thing that you could really turn to is maybe porn. Mm. And, you know... That's porn, not a great and, representation, and not, right? You know, you're... you're I don't want to get too much in depth with it, but you're watching porn and you're you're seeing how he grabs her hair or how she does this at the third, and you want to try that with your thirteen year old girlfriend, and like before you know, she's saying, you know, this is not what I'm on, but you've kept that mentality all the way until you're like twenty six, twenty seven, and you need to cut that shit out. Yeah, like, like it's perfect. This scenes. is this is real life, and in order for you to have healthy relationships with women, it shouldn't have to take someone doing it hypothetically to your mother or to your sister or to your, your female cousin women are women protect women if a woman is saying no leave it at that mm-hmm. but I, I didn't mean to go on this tangent but again rest in perfect peace Sarah Everett and Sabina Nessa um, you are not at fault for anything that you did you were just that, you were just women yeah and hmm, it's, it's just it's just heartbreaking mm-hmm. heartbreaking uh, two two women that were just on their way to friends' houses, just doing their normal routes, yeah. and intercepted by absolute demons. So, yeah, yeah, yeah heartbreaking. And if and you know ratings to and I wouldn't even say ratings because don't applaud fish for swimming. Card yeah. men shouldn't 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 be applauded for you know not feeling entitled to other people. However, I guys, speak go. to your people, them. If exactly. you're if you see you your brethren's your doing bro. that, yeah, that's because it. I, I could come across many attractive men, and I'll tell you right now, I'm not grabbing on his genitalia. That's the thing. Like, I would never do that. That's the thing. I never see it. Well, no, no, I'm actually, no, no, no. I'm not even gonna say I've never like, seen it the, the other fuck? way around because I have seen, I've had, I have seen women, you know, do too much in really? the clubs. What? <laughs> <laughs> Like that's that, that's the other misconception. Let's not act like it's just a men only problem because some some women, no, there are women they that, do that, like that to get, the they line, like to yeah. Do, yeah they do like to cross the line and do make men feel uncomfortable as yeah. well. Yeah. And like unfortunately again in in terms of like culture within you know men and man them and that you know you're not really gonna wanna maybe express how uncomfortable that made you feel as well. So women please people. Don't feel entitled to other people's bodies. I agree. Regardless I agree, of sex, gender, color, creed, please listen. We're all we're all human. We're all beautiful, beautiful people. Just do not touch people unless you have consent. Consent is always key. Yeah, just respect. Just respect people's spaces. Please, you know? please, and, and then we'll, we'll live better lives, man. And, and again, it's just it's all a temporary emotion. It's a temporary high. Like you're you're, you're touching up on on the girl. You can tell the girl feels uncomfortable. Now what? Now what? Now you've, like, ruined, now you've ruined everybody's night. Now you've ruined everyone's night. But what what did you gain from that? Stop feeling like you have control over people's bodies, guys. Like, honestly. And if you feel that something isn't right, like, please just check your friend. It doesn't make you less of a man or woman. Mm. It makes you even more of a man or woman. Yeah. 
Exactly. Know? It makes you more of a person, man. So please. Because that's, I think we just need to start normalising that more. Because I think what's normalised so much is just like, oh, seeing that. And then they're like, oh, that's weird. And then chatting to your other friend, what's in? Did you see? Did do that? And that's not, nah. that's, that's not okay. Y- yeah, exactly. So please, guys, let's try and do better as a society and support each other more and weed out the, weed out the fucking dickheads. Because, Amen. yeah, it's, it's clearly rife. In, and also in, um, in systems where, of like, authority as well, especially in fucking police system. I'm hearing mm. their colleagues were calling him the rapist. Yeah. What what behaviour, what vibes was he giving off for you guys to go down that route? And why was it not checked long before? Why was, why was you know, such a reputation allowed to kind of run rife to the point where now a, a, young, a young woman is dead? Why is it that police officers just get a pass for everything? Yeah, well, you know, that's, Derek, that's, that's, a, that's a one for another day. You know what I mean? Like, Derek Chauvin, the, the guy that murdered um, George Floyd, mm-hmm. had a history of corrupt things that like he was behind. Mm-hmm. He had a history of being, you know, discriminatory to, to anyone that didn't look like him, but he was still allowed on the force. So, systemic problems. Exactly. At what point do we kind of hold police officers accountable and say, hold up? This person's dangerous to be on the streets. He was naked in his car, exposing himself. I'm talking about Wayne Cousins. He mm. was exposing himself. Why was he allowed on the force? And now all the news, sorry to cut you up, but all the newspapers are now out saying he's an he was an ex-cop before he did whatever he didn't know. He was still in the force. He was still acting. His warrant card was still valid. He still had access to Where, his handcuffs. He was come and collected this ex-cop. He clearly oh, showed so her every... No, fuck that, answer, man. Yeah. He, clearly, he clearly showed her enough kind of, um, you know, credentials for her to believe that she was being arrested, right? So I, I don't I don't care whether he's ex this ex that, bro. Listen, it's a systemic problem. These it these it, like it needs to be it needs to be sorted out. And I hope yeah. out of out of what's happening with um, Wayne Cousins that it will lead to actual changes in the system Amen. and actual changes in terms of legislation because me- men that are exposing themselves or showing indecent behavior or you know giving off just real creepy vibes and you know that they're, that they're doing things that are creepy, that are doing things that are not of a standard of which a police officer should be holding themselves to, then there should be, you know, real, real consequences for these people because clearly it's not, it's not working enough yeah. because a man like this was able to be part of the police, police force and, um, and trick a young innocent woman into, yeah. into, you know, her death. And, uh, God, I, I can't even imagine what she went through that night. And I just, I just pray I, for I don't her. want to think about it. You know, the older that I get, the more sensitive I get with um, regarding things like that. I don't, I don't even want to think about what she was thinking about. But, mm. um, you know, start holding police officers accountable. Start holding men accountable. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, what are you teaching them? Yeah. You know, I'm telling you right now, ladies, if you're listening to this, if, you know... A guy violates you. Don't ever feel uncomfortable or feel like I'm going to make this thing awkward. Always G-check someone mm. because they may have done it 39 times to 39 different women, but you could be the 40th woman that they're just kind of, that that has told them this isn't right. That is exactly and they yeah. stop. Do you know what I mean? But again, rest in perfect peace to Sarah Everett. Um, Amanda, start holding yourselves ac- accountable. Start holding your. Don't rely on other, you know, women to tell you that it's wrong, or even your boys to tell you that's wrong. That's all part of it, and that's all good and great. But you should be able to look in the mirror and reflect, and know, and know what kind of behaviour is acceptable or not. And if not, sweetie, yeah. I know for you, man. 
So yeah, like you yeah. said, rest in perfect peace to both of these beautiful angels. It's Best so very sad, and, and they, they're extremely young. So it's sad that your life was cut short, but your life meant so much. Mm. You were so important, and you know you you made an impact. Whether you want to believe it or not, wherever you are on this earth, you know God bless both of you guys. Amen. And yeah, let's go. <laughs> okay. Oh, I need to blow my nose. I'm so sorry. You're so adorable. Sorry, Manet has this like teddy bear kind of hoodie on and it's so cute. It's so adorable. And really out, like I don't feel like our generation or any of like the generations below us really kind of watch linear TV as much. However, I will watch it on catch up. But I know what she's talking about and I did watch Manhunt. Yeah. Um the Night Stalker. Manhunt the Night Stalker. And he bodied the role of the detective. Is that it's ITV, isn't it? It's ITV. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I like do it love now. do love a little bit of ITV. ITV does um, drama and true crime really really well. They do, um, and so I'm looking forward to watching that. I just haven't had the chance to kind of catch up with it as it's come on, but definitely you'll be catching that on ITV Hub um, as a lot of a little it's catch up. So um, yeah, if you haven't watched it, um, I'm about to tell you the story. And if you have watched it, I hope I do it justice, um, especially for the main and lead detective Colin Sutton, who led to this massive creeps uh, capture, finally. Mm-hmm. But we'll get into it. So, yeah. um, how do I start this one off? <laughs> Good. I mean, okay, so this was a code name for an investigation that was, was uh, linked to a series of rapes that had been happening over a series of years as early as traced back to 1992 and this man that had been doing this hadn't been caught so this is so it started from 1992 this operation instead um started kind of like in the in the um late 90s early 2000s from what i understand okay that's why that's what i think um (laughs) it was the case i don't know my facts sometimes i feel like i'm so rubbish with the factual factual bits but Let's hope that's correct. Um, it was it was a lot of rapes that were taking place, unfortunately, to um older women. And um, oh, we're not actually sure if it was only older women, but I will, so I will say elderly people, right. um, because this man was just so incredibly fucked. Right. Um, so sources for this is the Real Man Manhunter episode one, where Colin Sutton himself is in it. And Colin, Colin Sutton was the um, detective that was then brought onto the case in 2009, um, eight years after Simon Morgan um, had taken over um, Operation Minstead. Mm-hmm. And he was brought on because by 2009, they still had not caught the Night Stalker. Yeah. So within this Manhunter um, episode, uh, sorry, this real Manhunter episode, sorry, this this actual series is about Colin Sutton and... Um, all the um all the cases that he was able to solve and was involved with mm. in terms of his time at the Metropolitan Police. Um so really, really cool um series. He's in it himself talking about his experiences and like I said, Martin Clunes is playing him at the moment on ITV, um, on on the uh kind of Night Stalker series under Manhunt. Um so this is the kind of factual uh case. So in two thousand and nine Colin Sutton, um, who'd been in the Met for for a while, uh, came on to Operation Minstead to kind of finally uh, figure out what was going on um, with the case. It had been going on for a long, long time, like I said. It, um, the first kind of cases were, were identified in 1992. 
and by 2009 they hadn't found anybody. Um, so, I guess we should, before we jump into Colin Sutton mm-hmm. and the case and the, the, the specific case within Operation Minstead where he got involved, I'll jump back in and give some further background um, as to what kind of um, situation was going on. Oh God! So the night stalker, we'll call him, um, was kind of running his despicable crimes um, in a vast area in South East London. Mm-hmm. South East London, South London, anyway. If you're not familiar, is quite a big place. It is. Um, more time, is. you'll have you'll have people kind of split it between South East London and South West London, yeah. just because it's such a big place. And I think. The, the documentary that I watched yesterday, The Real Manhunter, um, they said in South East London alone, two million people live there. So it's quite a sizable place of London. Damn. Yeah. Do you know sometimes when you go to the um to the club and you're like, where are you from? And everybody's always like, South London. Yeah. <laughs> South London is like everywhere. Like, South me. London is like everywhere. Oh, in it? I, I, like, I honestly feel oh, like I'm the minority. Like even my partner is a South London man. Like, oh, yeah, he is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like so, yeah. Um, so it's taking across, take, taking place across um, South East London. Um, the earliest occurrence within this Night Stalker's kind of reign um, occurred on the 12th of October, 1992, in a place called Shirley in uh, Wickham Road. Now, first of all, before we jump into it, did you know there was a place called Shirley in London? Yeah, it's at Croydon, isn't it? Oh, some people know, some people know South, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> some people know Wow. I'm a North Londoner, so mate. Well, and I'm an East Londoner. Londoner. So I mean, how you know Shirley? I don't even know there's a place you called Shirley. Shirley. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's a place called Sh- <laughs> it's a place called Shirley. I had breakfast there once. We're gonna talk about this later on because okay. I don't need to understand why you was in a place called Shirley in Croydon <laughs> <laughs> when you're from East London. <laughs> that's Croydon. If you're if you're a Londoner, you know that's far, man. If you ain't from Croydon, um, anywhere as far from Croydon, I'm sorry. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. There's, no one has business in Croydon. When I used to have business in Croydon, um, <laughs> like, when the night came and it was time for me to go in my house, <laughs> oh my when day. the night came. This is so long. This is what I'm saying. There's, there's no, yeah. there's, there's no business. If you're not from the area, I feel like you got no business down there. I'll be honest with you. Anyway. They don't have an underground train. That's the thing that pisses me off. That's why it's... Because I don't think... It's Croydon even London. So it will kind of be like the outskirts of London, but you're going more into Surrey. Okay. Yeah, we haven't... Okay, so it's pushing into... It's kind of outskirts a little bit. Yeah, so it's the outskirts of London. All right. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we've set the scene. Cindy's been there. Shirley. She's had breakfast there. (laughs) She knows the area well. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take it back to the time before Cindy had breakfast. (laughs) In 1992, we weren't even born yet. 1992. I want to say something, but it's going to be inappropriate, and mm. we just weren't born. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, it's best. Let's leave it at that. Because I still want to understand why you're having breakfast in Shirley. But anyway. Oh my God. <laughs> um, jewelry had been stolen, and an amount of £250 had been stolen in cash. Mm. Um, the police uh, go to um, this elderly woman who's also gone to her, at her niece's house at this point mm. um she went to her niece's house to, to raise the alarm as she's elderly um and she also then confides in the fact that unfortunately she had been raped at this point mm. 
she hadn't spoken to anybody and only kind of told the police at the scene. Now, this was an 84-year-old woman. Nah, man. Nah, man. Before I go ahead, I just need to understand. Uh, one thing about us, I feel like you always just raised to respect our elders. I'm not trying to say, like, it's it's rape is unacceptable in any sort of situation. It's absolutely disgusting. It's despicable. Yeah. But yeah. an 84-year-old woman, a woman that has lived her life to two scores and then some, mm-hmm. You've mm. broken into a house and raped her. Absolutely despicable. I'm sorry. I feel like that was just such a slurpy. Um, <laughs> it's sniffle, fine. Sorry. Like, and, you know, it just. It's just. I feel like sometimes you know sometimes as a woman every day yeah, it feels like survival. No, and that's the thing. You always like... think at this point we're like we're the ones that you know. If, if we're talking about our age, if we're talking about, you know, Sabina Nessa, if we're talking about Sarah Everard, who are in their late 20s, early 30s, super young, mm-hmm. you think that, you know, as you get older, you're safer. But it's it's definitely not the case. And that and women woman, of all ages are, are, uh, are and can be in danger at all times. So uh, she reports that um, this man had gone down the side of the house somehow removed the whole pane of the window from the house Mm. so instead of breaking it he actually was just able to like kind of jimmy it so he could pull it off pull it out of its frame essentially so without making any noise which is insane do you know how i feel about like you know london is like such a busy place Mm. like even in the like the quiet areas like you must have been super confident. Like, this wasn't your first rodeo to do that. Because I feel like if I was walking down the street, yeah. Yeah. And I just happened to see that, I'd kind of, like, just look, like... Especially in the middle of the night, I'd kind of be like, what are you doing? Yeah. But it's because we're from London, so I would just literally assume that, like, no one would be brave enough to do it in the middle of the night. I can understand yeah. during the day, and God forgive me, if I saw it during the day, I would thought, oh, it's nothing, she got a handyman, or blah, blah, mm. blah. But in the middle of the night, I literally would have been like... What's he doing? you got to remember as well that this is also down the side of her house. Right. So, you know those houses where the door, the front door is also on the side of the house? Yeah. So, some it's kind of like out of view of the main road sometimes. And sometimes also you can have like, you know, trees um, kind of arched over the house and it's just a bit more kind of obscure rather than, you know, a, a front-facing front door and windows right. and whatnot. So, um, he went down the side of the house he somehow removed the pane of the window and now let me tell you about this man he knew certain houses belong to elderly people i think a lot of us are able to tell these days if a house you know belongs to an elderly person it's a lot less modern it hasn't really got a driveway it's a lot less um, maybe unkept than other houses um sometimes you can just tell maybe an old person lives there just because it looks a bit more dated Uh, and in the in the 80s um they a lot of people had their how their windows done in such a way um, that you could kind of tell, like in the nineties and two thousands, that those windows hadn't been changed for about a good twenty years, right. and it kind of that was a kind of key that okay, an old person lives there because right. they probably did a refurb way back in the eighties and hadn't done you know um, done so since then. They had these specific type of um, windows no. that I think were kind of you know coming into to play before um, kind of double glazing, mm-hmm. so. Um, he was able to remove that window and he went through the house and as he went through the house he removed light bulbs this is how calculated this man was and he also cut the telephone wires 
He then finally went into the bedroom of this 84-year-old woman's house um, and put her through a, t- a two-hour ordeal of her, um, of him raping her and burglaring her. Uh, as mentioned, he sold jewels and £250 in cash. Oh um, and when he eventually decided to leave, she tries to call for somebody, but of course he's cut the telephone wires um, and she can't. So that's why she makes her way down the road. Luckily, her niece doesn't live far away. Uh, she makes her way to her niece's house and that's when she calls the that's when they call the police and like I said only when she uh, um, sees the police does she kind of admit that 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 he's raped her as well he she doesn't she doesn't tell her niece that she only tells the police that um, she also tells him that he was he spent a really long time in her house I mean he spent two hours and if you think of burglaries as well if people are just in there to, to steal they're trying to get in and out as fast as possible yes Yes. Right. Because burg- burglarizing a home or any form of like theft or robbery is um, no matter how carefully you plan it, you will never really know how long it would take for you to actually commit the whole crime. Yeah. So you'll be literally trying to do the let me grab a couple of shit. Mm-hmm. Let me grab some shit and then let me leave. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's correct. So but for him, he spent a long time in the house. Um, he was confident. Very confident. Um, and probably mostly confident that he wasn't going to get caught. Um, she disclosed that he kissed her. But whilst he was kissing her, he also stroked her face as well in, a, in an attempt to kind of, you know, comfort her and soothe her as, as well. Which is really, really eerie to me. Because this is the last situation that you want to be in. And you're trying to... Um, soothe me but you're literally the cause of the, the distress that I'm going through at the moment it's insanity but he's a sick bastard very very um, so yeah so obviously he leaves once they are able to um, collect evidence from her and unfortunately this is this is the other thing about um, you know really invasive sorry really invasive crimes such as rape which is rape is one thing yeah it's an a uh, unspeakable ordeal to go through yeah. then unfortunately you then have to go through the whole forensic part of it yeah. which is also <laughs> extremely invasive in terms of getting yeah. a, a rape kit in terms of getting forensics and a test kit from from them in order to collate evidence um, and you know to go through that it, it just sometimes adds insult to injury even though you know there's positive intent there and, yeah. and it's just upsetting so it's unfortunate that she has to also go through that but through that they were able to take semen from her body also from her bedding and also from her pajamas um and also you have to remember that this is also 1992 mm-hmm. so forensics are very limited at this point mm-hmm. and at the time they can only uh, create a male profile from this attacker um and that was it um, and once the kind of technology improved, they were able to revisit it, which I'll come back to. So this is the first case where they've seen that there's actual DNA evidence being left. Right. <sighs> I'm actually going to be sick. I know. It's, like, it's, it's, it's disgusting. I'm just sitting here and just thinking about an 84-year-old woman and I'm just... The Sorry, crime itself yeah. is despicable. Yeah. Like that's what I'm saying. Rape is an unspeakable, unspeakable crime. Yeah. But to do that to an elderly woman, for me, it just adds a whole other level of just sadisticness for me. It's I think it's just it's sick. 
Yeah, it's like, it. like to, to prey on someone that's infirm, like like how it is already for, for someone that's infirm is that they already know that they're of age. They already know that sometimes it can be a burden. Like, yeah. They already know that sometimes, you know, they're not as active and as fun as they used to be. And it's just like, it, it's, it, it, it just, it really doesn't sit well with me. No. It, it doesn't. It just, it, that really, it's really like painful to believe that a woman that probably did her daily, her, like her daily night ritual of, oh, I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to do this at this time. And it was just that one night. Yep. That something wasn't right. Out of all the times that you do the same thing every single day, that poor woman. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me personally, <clears throat> it gets worse. And I'll tell you why. The second offence with where the DNA, DNA was left was some six years later. This happened not far from uh, where the first incident had happened right. um, in September 1998 in an area called Wallingham in Surrey. Yeah. So we've gone from Shirley, which is like Croydon slash Surrey, and now we're in another area of, the air, um, of a similar area called Wallingham. It's not too far from it, is it? Did you been to breakfast there too? No, I haven't. Fucking hell, it's probably the same vicinity. Uh. Girl, I'm not a South Londoner, but I, I believe I believe so. I only really go to Surrey for Thought Park. Is Thought Park in Surrey? I mean, I don't know. I've never been to them fun places like you have. You never been to Thought Park? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Cindy, that's bad. We need to go. We need to go for Fright Night. Fright we Night. Do. That's. It's we also. Do. It's. It's Halloween soon, so we should do that. Yes, we're in Wallingham, Surrey, where an eighty-one-year-old um, elderly woman lives. She um, has mobility problems, and she really, really struggles to kind of walk. She has to use like a Zimmer frame to get around the house um, because she has uh, chronic arthritis. This time he goes on the side of the house again. He tries to pry the window open before he realizes that the key is present, hanging there for her family and her friends to let themselves in. So instead of taking the window out this time, he now uses, uh, yeah, he just easily uses the front door, which is insanity because you're not going to be thinking about any noises or anything. You're just going to hear your front door open. However, before he tries to do that, um, he tried to remove the window with this screwdriver. Now, what's what's funny about the screwdriver is that every screwdriver, which I didn't know, is really individualistic. It has its kind of own kind of fingerprint. Um, so if you use a screwdriver in one place uh, and you use it in another place, it's easy to kind of tell through the cast of this, of this screwdriver that it's the same one. Uh, and he left marks from that screwdriver on this window before he realised that the key was there. So... He tries to rape this uh, 81-year-old woman. But uh, as she has chronic arthritis, he really struggles to do that because she's in a a lot of pain. Um, I know, 81 years old, getting raped uh, is is unspeakable. Um, But then, smart woman, she pretends that she passes out. So obviously the ordeal can stop. And, and And she might actually have passed out, actually, because she does have chronic arthritis. And it's pain. It's really painful um, from what I understand about arthritis. So she passes out and he starts to think something is wrong. Um, so instead of continues, uh, continuing to rape her, he checks her pulse uh, and then he leaves. However, he's so fucked that through all of that, even through all of you know her pain that she's going through and the fact that, um, 
you know, he checks her pulse and everything. He still manages to ejaculate at the scene. Um, so once the, when, when the police go to the scene, they do the um, DNA match. Um, they, they figure out that the DNA matches the, the scene uh, from six years prior. Um, and she actually, you know what, this poor woman, she actually goes back to sleep after all of this happens to her and he leaves her um, and she only tells her son in the morning about what happened. So, man, I can't even imagine after going through that in my own home how I was even able to go back to sleep. Exactly. Um, but that just shows the strength even of that generation. Even I think back to my grandmother, that 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 generation was very keep calm, keep calm and carry on. They've been through wars and, and these type of things and they just kind of, through all their pain, kind of, had that resilience about them where they just kind of they just kind of um got on with it and, and even when even when they shouldn't have so um yeah after reporting to their son they find out that the the, the dna does match the scene um and at a scientific level in 1998 they looked at this dna and then they they then now created a physical and ancestral profile of the rapist Right. From this physical and ancestral profile of the rapist, they found out that he is a black male. Right. But the details followed were that his skin was likely going to be pale, freckled, and that he had ginger hair uh, hailing from Trinidad and Tobago. So just in case somebody knew him in Trinidad and Tobago or, you know, he might have fled there or something, uh, the police and the media headed over to Trinidad. At the time, this was um, a really um, massive story because they, in police downtime, uh, journalists caught them at the beach, at the beach club, by the pool in their speedos and stuff. Right. Um, and as as media always does, tried to uh, kind of discredit the police in the terms of their work because they were having a bit too much of a fun time on their downtime within Trinidad. And it, and it made the case at this point kind of seem less serious uh, once these kind of pictures were um, published to the media. Um, however, they come back from Trinidad, nothing kind of comes from that. And then they proceed to um, work through this kind of process of, elim- of elimination. So they ask black men that fit this particular profile, uh, essentially those that grew up in Southeast London during the 70s and 80s, to offer up their DNA um, so that they can be eliminated from this, from this, tri- uh, sorry, from this investigation no. right now. You're asking black men who grew up in South London in the 70s and 80s to volunteer their DNA to the Metropolitan Police. So mm. if you know anything about police relations, especially police relationships with black men, uh, God, even now, um, but particularly yeah. in South London within you know that kind of time frame, there was not a good uh, reputation um, and relationship between exactly. these two parties. So as you can imagine, not a lot of people did offer up their DNA. Um, and so cooperation was really, really low with the Metropolitan Police. Um, and by 2009, when Colin comes onto the case, 2,000 people had been eliminated in the last 11 years right. since they've started this investigation, right? I'm, I'm proud that they even got 2,000 people to, to stand up and do that, because I know for damn sure that... You know, like that. You know, I, I, I don't know. But at this point, once, they've been, once 2,000 people had been eliminated in the last 11 years, they still had at least another 2,000 to eliminate, which means that that would have taken an additional 11 years. Right. Um... So things were not looking up in terms of the elimination process and they had not found their man. And they were nowhere near close. 
No. Damn. <sighs> so, flashback now, back to 1999, where there's another case that takes place on 5th of August, this time in Orpington, where an 88-year-old woman wakes up in her bed at 3 a.m. when she senses someone in her room and sees a figure of a man at the end of the bed. This is giving me sleep paralysis. Like, I one time I had sleep paralysis and I felt like someone was at the end of my bed. And the fear that was within me was unmatched. And I knew that no one was really in the room. Yeah. So if you wake up to a man knowing that they're actually in your room, I, I can't even imagine the fear within you. I think that's one of that's one of my biggest fears. I've oh. always expressed that to people. Like I would hate to wake up in the middle of the night and to just find someone just standing over me in my bed. I I I think I'd just die there. I yeah. think I'd have a cardiac arrest. Like no, tr- no, truly. There's no controlling me there. Like and I'm, I'm, you tell me to calm down and I'll be like, No, like please just truly I'm done. I'm and I'm shocked that, that hasn't happened to, to, to um to some of these these people because it's this is terrifying. Yeah. So she wakes up. She covers her mouth and asks her for money. She said there's no money in her bedroom, but she does offer to take him to the living room where she knows that there's money in her purse. Mm-hmm. He empties her purse uh, into his pockets, then places her on the edge of the sofa before proceeding to rape her multiple times. 88 years old. He leaves her so battered and bruised that when she tries to call the police, the police automatically call the ambulance upon arriving at the scene they they see god. so much blood loss that oh they they try to just save her by the time that they get uh, uh try to save her as soon as they can um luckily she didn't bleed to death although she was close she got surgery emergency surgery um but upon her recovery she did struggle to sleep she suffered from horrible nightmares and from that night that she was in that home, that home when that ordeal happened to her, she was never able to return to her home in which she spent 25 years of her life in. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, these elderly people are very keep calm and carry on. Uh, they felt like they needed to just always just keep going. Um, and, I, and even though the whole Trinidad thing in 2009 was kind of um, published and, you know, sensationalizing it within the media, mm-hmm. Their actual stories, you know, dating back to like 1992 weren't as sensationalized because, you know, it's it's elderly people. Sometimes people just don't care as much. It's not as, as sexy and exciting in, in the um in the in the media. However, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that their stories deserve any less um attention. Exactly. Um exactly, and so sis. you know, ageism, as always, people just unfortunately sometimes care less about elderly people. The, there's less media allocated to the crime and you know like I said they're very keep calm and carry on so some of these people like I said only admitted certain things to the police didn't even admit it to their family and some people may not have admitted it at all they might have just gone through it got up the next day and never said anything so these cases that we're talking about are the only known ones um, they sorry to cut you up but they come from a time where regarding things like rape um no one really knew how to word it back in the day. Yeah. Like, right now, we could say... Like, you know how there's the the, the whole umbrella of sexual assault? Mm. Now we can sit there and say, I was harassed, or mm-hmm. I was violated, or, you know, this, that, the furthest happened, and blah, blah, blah. We, we can understand that, but back in their day, it was just very, like, well, he did this to me, and it's like, they don't know how to word it, and because they're so embarrassed, and they're mm. from a time where it was just kind of like, you're supposed to grit your teeth and carry on, mm-hmm. they a lot of these women, I can only suspect that they just held it in them because they were just embarrassed because they were like, how can I word this? Trust me. <sighs> Poor baby. It's awful. And I think because of this, 
it was that I feel like that's another reason why he was able to do it for so long because you know it, it didn't get the publicity that they always deserved and it was elderly people so people on just I feel like they just cared less which yeah. should never have been the case yeah so we now fast forward to 2009 so you set the scene with the three earlier cases 2009 is when Colin Sutton comes onto the team to mm-hmm. further investigate um to further investigate uh, Operation Minstead. Um, and that's the whole, when they go to Trinidad, they're trying to do, continue the whole um, process of elimination. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that Colin actually sees um, a case live within Operation Minstead. So this happens in May 2009 on Pincers Avenue in Croydon. Right. Um, so this, there was quite a gap, actually, I think, or, or a gap of where they kind of thought he was a bit more quieter. Right. Um, he could have been, he could have been active, but maybe he didn't leave any DNA. Oh, again, it wasn't reported, but this is the first time where Colin himself is on the case and sees something happen within, you know, his kind of um, reign in uh, the police force. So, in 2009, once again, he attempts to enter down the side of the house of a bungalow and forces open a window using a pitchfork that he stole from the neighbor's garden of this house. A 78-year-old woman wakes up at 4am to him pinning her down and caressing her face. He asks, would you like more? And she declines, no thank you, politely to him. She asks if she can have her mobility frame to get to the bathroom and she tries to locate her panic alarm, but as he's fucked, he's already hidden it. He gets very frustrated that he can't find money in the home, but he does find some coins and some notes totaling around £20 uh, before he does leave. All of that for fucking £20, bastard. Um, oh not that any any money is worth this, but twenty fucking quid yeah. Yeah. to put a seventeen year old woman, uh, sorry, a seventy eight year old woman through such hell. Yeah, she locks the door before going back to sleep. Again, I can't imagine how they these people can go back to sleep. Um, such strength. Um, but then she does call the 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 police later on, about five or six hours later at nine a.m. This is the first time Colin goes to um, his the, the home of a victim that has taken place under uh, Operation Minstead. Uh, he decides he's going to take a fresh perspective on the case um, and he's going to start to look at these more as like burglaries than sexual assaults um, because he thinks that, you know, between that kind of more quiet time that burglaries were taking place and maybe sexual assaults, but people weren't reporting the sexual assault part of, kind of part and focus on the sexual assault kind of area was kind of making things a bit too narrow right. so like i said the investigation kind of took a bit more of a turn and this turn and approach was became known as minstead light they used this burglary case to test this on and they found that once again um a someone had broken to the side of the house but this time nothing was taken right. so this is already this is now a separate burglary case sorry um they, they, they use a burglary case to test this on. So they go to a burglary. They found that nothing was taken, but things had been really, like, weirdly moved around. Right. Uh, and they find, like, an orange juice carton left behind and swabbed, uh, which the son of the victim then gives gives to the police. And they find that this swab matches the original profile of uh, the Minstead man, as, as we call him, or the Night Stalker. Right. They are they able to look on CCTV um, and look at when they arrived. But they arrived three hours earlier than when the actual incident took place right which meant 
he was watching the house three hours earlier and this is what he did he would he would scope out elderly people's homes he would sit outside he'd make sure that there was only one person inside the house you know seeing somebody go through the house turn on light turn off the light go into another room turn on the light turn off the light you know go from downstairs up to the bedroom just watching the movements of this person knowing that they've gone to bed it's disgusting um he watched the house as always um, but within that three-hour span, according to CCTV, he also uh, burgled other, uh, two other houses in the in the area as well, um, which explained why he was there for such a long time. He was scoping out the, the houses. He was burgling three of them. Um, he didn't have time to sexually assault anybody, to our knowledge, um, and clearly he was very, very confident. So they went to Scotland Yard. They had this. They had this meeting with with um, you know the, the kind of higher ups and said, look, we need to take a new kind of perspective on this. We need to be looking at wider cases, and we also need to be doing some proper surveillance now, mm. because this is just getting ridiculously out of hand. So the police chase changed their tactics, uh, and they become an active night burglary squad in an attempt to catch him in the act. So instead of investigating only in the day, they then start surveying at night. Um, and because the the day investigations meant that they were always just you know one one or two steps behind him. Right. So in 2009, after this case, we go back to Shirley once again, where a 93-year-old is now living in a detached house. It's quite an affluent area within Shirley. Um, and Colin goes to the house, um, just like he did with the, the previous previous woman. Uh, this is now his second case within Operation Minstead, where he goes to a house. Mm-hmm. And he really, really speaks to the victim. And this time, he mentions that he, uh, she mentions to him that in confidence, holding his hand, that he had interfered with her, alluding to the fact that he had raped her, but she couldn't tell anybody, and she only told Colin once he arrived. Uh, in confidence, uh, she didn't share that with any of the other officers or oh, with her family, God. and it really took a lot of courage for her to admit this. I mean, yes, at ninety-three, it did. It did. ninety-three, to admit that after what a life you've lived. Um, it goes back to my point about you know how like in our day and age we know all about sexual assault and what comes under it and stuff like that in in that time mm. you know even her using like the the, the word interfered mm-hmm. it's just kind of like because she comes from a time where it's like how is rape worded and she took so long it, it took one person for her to trust for her to finally say that like poor woman it's awful it's awful man. very very awful yeah. so um sadly after this inter- incident for her she just you know it, it messed with her so much at 93 years old she gave up on living uh she stopped eating and unfortunately she did die some weeks later and of course because of you know the right. fact that he hadn't killed her on the scene this wasn't murder or even manslaughter but of course we all know that his uh actions did lead to to her eventual death yeah um causation's a bitch yeah causation is a bitch causation's a bitch because um someone can basically you know an example of causation could basically be like you're walking down the street and someone basically punches you up and you get proper punched up and whatnot and you go to the you go to the hospital and you you refuse the medication or you refuse like like an injection because you're like i'm I'm an Mm anti-vaxxer blah blah and you can succumb to your to your injuries and it Mm -hmm. won't be the person that robbed you or hurt nope. you goes to jail for that. It will be, it's now changed. Like it's gone from their responsibility to yours where it's like you didn't want help and it resulted in you dying. Yeah. It's a bitch. It's yeah. a bitch. It's, it's insane. Bitch. It's insane. Um, <coughs> so at this point, they think that publicity would help the, the case. Um, 
and there was an episode around the um the ministered man that was released on crime watch where a 19 uh 1999 <laughs> a 999 tape was released mm. um which they think made him kind of go a bit more quiet for a while i don't know if it shamed him into the shadows for a bit but it made him hold off from a few crimes for a while however the 6th of june 2009 now comes we're on queen hill road in south croydon and an 82-year-old uh, woman suffers a break-in. But this time, she actually does have dementia, so she can't remember too much around the attack. But they can tell that he broke th- through an extension that was being built next door. So someone else's house next door had an extension being built. He's broken through the extension and then somehow got to the other side of the house and into um, the 82-year-old's house by mm-hmm. once again removing the pane of glass. At this point... He's really active. Police are getting about two to three calls a night that are, you know, saying that, you know, people are being burgled and the police are getting very, very stretched. Um, they, But they knew the area that he liked to kind of frequent. Uh, and like I said, they, they started to even push for more of an operation in terms of Operation Minstead. So may I say something? So do you think that he became more like active because he was confident? I think it was confidence. I think it was confidence. Most definitely. Mm. I think it was confidence. Um, I don't know if he wanted to get caught. I don't know if anybody ever wants to really get caught, but um, I think it was confidence. And, you know, you, you've been doing this since 1992. It's 2009, 17 years of not getting caught. Yeah. You think you're not going to get... You're yeah. probably thinking I'm invincible at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah. You know? It's, it's true. It's true. It's yeah. True. So they have yet another um kind of meeting at scotland Yard, uh and they push for a further operation which was more focused on like i said the proactive surveillance with more resources from the wider metropolitan police versus relying solely on the kind of dna um information that they had collected from the previous cases so they create a small map of surveillance of the area within the hotspot that he likes to frequent within southeast london where they found that one in six minister cases were taking place they collected uh, 70 Met police officers to be part of it. And they ran it from a centre within Vauxhall known as Central 3000, mm-hmm. which is literally is built for surveillance. If you think of like, a, you know, a spy kind of film or a police or FBI film and they, you know, they're in the, they're in the central control room and the, the screens are massive and everybody's on their computer. Yeah, and yeah. Yes, boss. You know, <laughs> like the all that boss, kind of, we got him. Yeah, in. we got him. All of that. Zooming on camera three. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's very much like that. Um, it's built for surveillance um, and about 20 officers are in the control room at any one time. So it's a massive operation. Uh, they also had people, uh, police patrolling out on the streets within various operational night shift teams in order to patrol and watch out for the night stalker. And this started on the tw- 28th of October 2009. On the first night, very little happens. Few cars and pedestrians walk past and about two offences take place um, just outside the surveillance map which is really annoying because they, they spent the whole night out there. They, they didn't see anything, but then they find that two offences did take place and it's only 100 yards north of their radius, which is really freaking frustrating. Yeah, of course, yeah. 100 yards. Yeah, That's really so close. close yeah. Um, yeah. Then a third burglary also takes place about a mile outside of them, their radius. Mm-hmm. So they're saying that they think that the night stalker would have had to go from the burglaries one and two and the only way they could get to burglary number three was to drive through their surveillance points. Meaning that they must have got him in some sort of CCTV evidence. Even if they didn't see him, they didn't incognito. catch him. He was very incognito. And they do 
get some CCTV evidence of him driving in this really gunmetal slash dark grey Vauxhall Sephira. If you know, it's very much like um, that Vauxhall kind of family car. Sometimes it's it's like a cab as well. Um, They also noticed that there was other key points that they they could survey him on. So that was that he was stealing bank cards uh, and their pins from the elderly people. I mean, the elderly people have already gone through such an ordeal. You might as well give them your pin pin code Mm, mm, to 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 the cash points, which was a really kind of recent development because obviously if he was active from like 1992, cash points, uh, you know, bank cards, pin numbers weren't, you know, technology wasn't as advanced at that point Mm. um so he was a student in the pension books but as technology um kind of uh improved they he would steal their bank cards and go to uh, specific cash points so in 2007 uh he repeatedly used the cash point attached to an off license in honor oak but the cctv was really old and grainy and they couldn't locate his face so they decided that they were a bit they would fit better CCTV into the Honor Oak area because they knew that, you know, t- kind of two, three years prior, he was frequenting that frequenting that area. Right. And if he was to go again, then they wanted to get better kind of footage of him. Mm-hmm. Um, his face was covered. Um, and when they got CCTV evidence, they got photos of his clothes. Again, um, his height and his build. But as his face was covered, not much came of it. But they did use these images to make e-fits uh, which, funny enough, was also placed with uh, within one HSBC branch that he also frequently used the cash point outside of. Right. Um, they say that he used it while he, the eFit was up on the up on the window. So he actually had a, a moment where he actually looked at himself at this eFit while he was taking money out of this cash point, mm-hmm. but took it didn't take it seriously because it depicted a white male. The male, the the police officer within this uh, documentary kind of smirks at this point because I think that was their plan, which they knew that he was a black male, but he had a sort of kind of, you know, confidence about him. So why not play on that, put out an effort of a white male and you're still going to feel quite confident, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Um, so they then on the second night, now the 29th of October, they really, re- they receive a police message known as a computer aided dispatch. Um, where they said a woman called in to um what is that thing when you call 999 and they call they pick up and they ask you where you want to be directed it's like um the operator yeah they call she calls the operator and she says that she can hear a man trying to break into her house from the side um meanwhile she's calling the police um he um the night stalker breaks into the home you know shouts and screams all the odds throws it and then runs the police run after him for um they see him come out of the house um and they 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 run after him for two miles but they do lose him once they jumps over a wall into a car park uh, and they lose they lose the kind of mask figure which is you know quite frustrating because you're it really on the on the, the mm. you're really on the the tail of this guy but you could tell how fit he was you ran for two miles without stopping and you lost the police that is not a joke um i think also um because he knows how to work that area he probably knows all of the background. Right, and, and that's what that's what they're saying is that he was on main roads and whatnot, but then he did was able to kind of go down an alleyway where, you know, a car couldn't get down. And by the time exactly. a, guy, a police officer was able to run off to him on foot, um, you know, they lost him. Um, yeah. So Colin, at this point, um, 
asked for this this kind of incident to be kept out of the press they didn't want um the minstead man to kind of be aware that they were running after him knowing that he was the minstead man they wanted him to if anything think that you know we saw a guy run out of a house and we're just chasing him down they didn't want right. anybody to know that this was part of a, a part of a wide operation they kind of wanted to catch him in the act basically most definitely right. because that's, that's, that seemed to be the only way that they were going to get him so for the next two weeks, things went really radio silent. And again, he began la- laying low. He was probably really close to getting caught and he just wasn't about that life. Mm. Um, so at this point, the police had done 16 nights. Colin had been active for 16 nights, hardly sleeping, trying to get this man and, and he couldn't. So he takes the Saturday, the 14th of November off. The 17th night of this patrol, um, we finally get some downtime. However, the rest of the team are still searching for this Vauxhall Sephira, which was seen in the area um and um they get some intel that around the surveillance area and he was also seen running to a car of that description so um the office went to the office my gosh sorry the officers went to an address where they seemed that he was coming from mm. um and and thought that maybe he was breaking into the house mm. um once again um they kind of see him get into the car and he kind of speeds off and he's speeding at this point you know it's a residential area and he's, he's at about 60 miles an hour damn yeah you know that's like that's, that's like <laughs> mo- like that's motorway um motorway speeds on a residential road so it's it's pretty it's pretty quick so the police are trying to stop him and separate him from side streets and whatnot and they eventually get in front of him trying to slow him down and the aim here was that they were just going to try and pull him over as, as like a, you know, a regular stop. You were speeding, we need to pull you over. Um, and then if it wasn't him, they could just say, you know, it was, speed, it was it's just for speeding. And if it was him, then they've got their man. Mm. So he then eventually slows down. He, he indicates onto a residential street that doesn't look like it's, you know, as, as much as uh, populated as elderly people, but more like a place that maybe he could live. Um they think that maybe this is the time where he's going to be able to finally get to wherever he lives. So they pull him over ahead of time uh, and they question him. They speak to the man and they and they ask his name and he says that his name's Kelvin Grant uh, and they ask for his ID and he says he hasn't got any ID on him. However, whilst he says his name is Kelvin Grant and that he doesn't have any ID, they peek into the centre console of the car and they see that his bank cards all say Delroy Easton Grant on them. Mm. They also see clothing within the car, such as the balaclava, uh, the baklava, baklava or balaclava? Baklava is the food, isn't it? Balaclava. Balaclava. Baklava is the, the sweet. It's balaclava. Balaclava. But no, you know, say it again. What is it? Balaclava. Balaclava. Yeah. Listen, I don't, I don't involve myself in criminal activity, so I don't even Neither have to be saying that name. What's a balaclava? That's what I say, balaclava. <laughs> Leave me alone, really because know. the baklava is the kind of sweet. I know it's some sort of food, food. the kind of dessert, and I think that's why I, I think I, I merged them in my head. Anyway, it's so silly, you know. Balaclava, and I'm gonna stick with that. Okay. Good. Okay. Um, so it matched the witness reports and it also matched the ones that they saw on the CCTV inside the whip he also had a crowbar the screwdriver that also matched all the imprints on the other um, windows that he'd left like I said they're very uh, individualistic so they matched perfectly and they also had uh, petrol in the boot so they had their guy they call Colin at 1am in the morning on his night off and they tell him that they have him. Of course, he's elated. God. Um, I would go to sleep after that. Yeah, no, they were like, the like, obviously, we'll speak to you tomorrow. And he's like, hell no. He gets out of bed at 1am. <laughs> he goes down that? to Lewisham Station and he meets him. And I'll do the same. I'll be like, nah, Yeah, you have man. to, man. You just spent 16 nights looking for this man. You can't find him. Exactly. 
Um, so he seemed really placid and calm and polite. They asked for his fingerprints, um, to which she replied, as the famous line goes, you know it's silly to do so, as you know that I always wore gloves. And at this point, it does sound like, it does sound like maybe he was ready to get caught. Maybe he was just tired after 18 years. Sick bastard. Sick, sickness. Um, he, he got his sample taken, of which, of course, matched all the original samples. And by 4pm that day, they had conf- confirmation that 53-year-old Delroy Grant from Broccoli Muse was the night stalker terrorising southeast London for the last 17 years. So how old was he when he started this? If you're 53 and it was for about 17 years and you're like, what, late 30s? Insanity. Gosh. Probably like 36. Um, and that's the, the only of the cases that we know of. Mm-hmm. Um, Delroy Grant was born in Kingston, Jamaica. A shame to our fucking country that I love <laughs> and the land that we love. An absolute shame. Um, but he he lived um, in in Broccoli in southeast London, mm-hmm. and he actually lived with his su- his second wife, who suffered from unfortunately degenerative multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. So she had a lot of mobility problems, um, and you know, it's, MS is an awful illness. And you're out here doing all sorts of fuckery. You should be looking after your wife. You know, like that. Son of a bitch. Um, but the community had all these wonderful things to say about him in terms of him having, you know, this, this devout father, this devout husband that, you know, cared for his wife and a man of the community. It was a very shocking thing to the community. And, uh, of course, the family suffered greatly because, you know, the, the assumption is, is, well, you guys knew. But, you know, a lot of these families, you know, the wife and the, and the kids and the, the, the brothers and sisters, they, they don't know. And, and, unfortunately, their lives were turned upside down when uh, the community realised... Uh, he was he was at fault for this of course so of course he was arrested after that night and while in prison like the scum fucking bag that he is saying that dna um that was collected he you know he sometimes dna can, can get mixed up and it and it probably was his son but versus versus him which is why i don't think that he was ready to be caught because why would you throw suspicion onto your son i think he was ready to get caught and i feel like that was his basically his backup plan so if he ever got stopped, it would have been like, oh, yo, I, I don't know why you're coming at me for. Like, you need to look at my son. Like, he's younger and he's but this, but this, but this, But at this point, he's already in prison. He's already said, you know, I already, already wore gloves. But he, he, I, I know. All but of he's this. Probably thinking, he's probably thinking, you know, well, my, my son is younger and fitter and whatnot, so blah, blah. But then you got to think of it as this. He didn't think of it that far or mm. that well, because in 1992, how old would your, would your son have been? Well, that's I the think, thing. I think he only genuinely thought, these were the couple of people that they call yeah it's prepubescent so it doesn't make sense Ooh, oopsie <laughs> um <laughs> so, so um yeah so he says that his that dna could be in his sons however delroy had actually been in the system from the summer of 1999 right where he'd committed a crime of burglary in bromley in a BMW, right? Right. Neighborhood watch saw him and said, "Look, this guy's got a balaclava. Don't laugh at my word, balaclava, <laughs> and gloves on." And he was making his way to the neighbor's house to burgle. Um, they collected they collected uh, DNA from one of the Delroys that they thought could have been him. So there's two Delroys that they thought was going to be this guy, right? Right. They're both called Delroy Grant. One is located in Dulwich, yeah, in 1999. Is that how you say it? Dulwich, yeah. I want to say Dulwich. 
Mm-hmm. And you want to laugh at me about balaclava? All right. So how do you say Dulwich? Dulwich. Greenwich. Do you say Greenwich? No, you say. Do you say Woolwich? Sometimes I say Woolwich. No, no, no. I know it's Woolwich. Okay, carry on. Carry on. Yeah, we're Londoner. Okay, wait, hold on. Right, so they thought it was two. It could have been two Delroy grants, right? One was located in Dulwich, in obviously South East London. The other was located in Leicester. So, the police decide it has to be the the guy that's based in Dulwich because it's a South East London crime. It's Delroy Grant, so they take his sample, and they say, "Hello, this is Delroy Grant from South East London. This is his sample." But turns out that the actual Delroy Grant that we're thinking of actually used to live in Leicester. So when they took the DNA from Delroy Delroy Grant that lived in Dulwich, they took it from the wrong Delroy. So when they were um, eliminating samples, they they thought they'd already eliminated Delroy Grant living in South London, but they hadn't eliminated Delroy Grant, who used to, who now lives in South East London, but used to live in Leicester. So for the next 20 of years, course. the Delroy in question was, was always no eliminated from the investigation right. because he was thought to be someone else. Of and actually in 2001, when someone comes forward to, to say that they think Delroy might be their guy, they do go back into the system, look at the sample and say, well, the sample doesn't match because they're matching the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he's then charged with 29 offences of burglary, sexual assault and rape. Mm-hmm. At Willich Crown Court, he pleads not guilty and has the most stupid defence. What's his defence? He says that his first wife kept his semen from their first marriage and then spread it across all of the locations. One thing men will have is the audacity. Audacity you know? of Who it. Who told you she's got time to be doing that, man? She don't fuck with you. She don't like you. Right. You know, you're, you're probably a deadbeat to her kids. Right. You know, you lived your best life with your second wife and showed her what's up about how to be a dad and whatnot. Right. And now you're sitting there thinking that she, she's got so much hate and animosity for you. You know, <laughs> she's going to plant your DNA everywhere. Don't worry, mate. You were in jail. Yeah, exactly. How many, how many years did he get this? So... It's believed that he was part of 204 burglaries, oh my days. 30 to 40 sexual assaults, and five rapes. Of course, as we mentioned, this this demographic weren't even you know likely to report all of this, so it could have been you know a lot more of these cases that he was involved in. Probably. Um, and the the this was the most prolific kind of rape and sexual assault case that the Met Police had ever seen. Um, he was told by the judge at Woolwich Crown Court that he would have to serve at least 27 years before being eligible for parole, which would mean that he was at least 81 years old, an elderly man himself, before being released from Belmarsh um, uh, Prison. And ironically, was caught on the 17th day of the uh, surveillance operation under Operation Minstead mm-hmm. for such a long time. And uh, yeah, in 2009, that closed the case of uh, the Night Stalker a.k.a. Delroy... Uh, what the hell is his surname? I doesn't even deserve a Grant. surname. Delroy Grant, the arsehole, which Jamaica does not claim. <laughs> um, that was a great story. Well, no, it wasn't a great story. It was tragic. I love the way you told it. Um, Thank you. It's just really... I, I just... I honestly hope that he rots. Cause, oh, oh, trust me. He needs know, to be getting like, dealt with in Belmarsh. He does. Like, like, to me, do you know what? I, I just don't seem to understand. Like, I bet he was doing all of that and he just used to go home to his, like... Insanity. Like, wife, acting like he was doting and whatnot. Like, what a sick motherfucker. Sickness. Like, I hope you rot. 
okay? Like, and the fact that you tried to pin it on the child that you were hardly there for. Oh, you will not see the pearly gates, baby. Oh, Mm-mm. hell no. He wouldn't even get close. But you know who will see the pearly gates? The pearly gates. Pearly gates. You know who will see the pearly gates? Those beautiful elderly people that went through all of that. Yeah. And I, I, I really do hope that they can remember their, their long and beautiful lives in the way that they want to remember it and not have it defined by these horrific incidents. Um, and that their, their family and friends do remember all of them because, at, you know, at this point, they, they mostly have all passed. Um, and that they yeah, can remember probably. them as for their beautiful and, and long lives versus, you know, this horrible incident that doesn't, you know, define define them and they can be remembered in a, in a really lovely way. Yeah. Listen, these victims are fighters, you know. Yeah. You know, it's definitely. not just because they didn't get up and have a baseball bat and swing it on his head that they weren't fighters. You know, mm-hmm. they 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 told their stories and they helped so many other people and they helped put him behind bars and that's already strength within itself. It's true. So, you know, God bless these women and you know the, their poor kids that had to, to deal with them during their ordeal that word doesn't even deserve a platform but mm-hmm. you know what this is a true crime podcast so anything that's disgusting and heinous we've got to talk about it mm-hmm. but yeah <laughs> most definitely i'm sorry that took a really long to tell that story no it's fine it's fine it's fine my story isn't so <laughs> it's so good um so i'm gonna give a trigger warning guys um, oh no it contains I should trigger. I should have triggered one in mine too. It's fine. It's fine. Oh no. <laughs> um, this has um, sexual abuse, child abuse, and torture. Oh my god. And um, we're gonna do the murder of Elisa Esquerdo. Very sad. I'm gonna try and skim through this really quickly, but um, this is really sad. So, um, everyone just be prepared. <laughs> so, Elisa Esquerdo was born on February the 11th, 1989, in Woodhall Hospital, Brooklyn, New York. Her father, Gustavo, was a Cuban immigrant who had emigrated to America with aspirations to become a dance teacher, whereas her mother was a Puerto Rican raised in Brooklyn. The pair met at a Fort Greene homeless shelter two years prior to Elisa's birth, where Gustavo worked part time as a cleaner and caterer. The two began a temporary relationship, although reportedly this ended when Gustavo discovered that Awilda, at the time pregnant with Elisa, was a regular user of crack cocaine. Concerned by her own family as to her extensive usage of drugs resulted in Awilda losing custody of her two oldest kids in January 1989. When Elisa was born, she had the misfortune of being addicted to crack cocaine, requiring... requiring social workers to immediately notify the city's child welfare administration as to her condition as a result of her mother's evident addiction full custody of elisa was awarded to her father gustavo who himself had no experience of parenting by all accounts gustavo was a doting caring father to elisa attending parenting classes seeking advice from relatives he seems like such a lovely guy when i read this story like like reading about the dad warmed my heart so much it did it really did um seeking advice from relatives as how to care for his daughter organizing celebrations for her first birthdays and renting a banquet hall to celebrate her baptism at age four so let's talk about her preschool he did we love we we love we love a good dad (laughs) so in 1990 gustavo enrolled his daughter at the Montessori preschool, although Aww. shortly thereafter, do you know where that is? We went there. My brother went to Montessori. Well, what does that mean? It's like a really good nursery. 
I'm gonna go tell Monta story. <laughs> I'm gonna go start an argument with <laughs> I wouldn't go to one. <laughs> so, I didn't go to one, so don't worry. <laughs> this is my brother though. <laughs> I feel like she just gonna have a start argument now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so bad mind. <laughs> Oh so, um, his infant alien health complicated his ability to pay for Elisa's schooling, so the dad was sick. Oh. As Elisa was such an outstanding and promising student, and Gustavo was such a dedicated father, both teachers and the school principal introduced her to one of the school's patrons, Prince Michael of Greece, in 1993. Wrong. So, she, yes. So, he offered to pay for Elisa's private tuition at the independent Brooklyn Friends School until the 12th grade. She, in turn, responded to this gesture with a handwritten note expressing her gratitude. Occasionally thereafter, Prince Michael of Greece would send Elisa small gifts to which she would express her thanks by responding with drawings and notes. So, this child warmed, like, everyone's hearts to the point where if teachers were helping because of the dad's ailing health like everyone wanted to kind of be involved and yeah kind of be like, you know we need we, we need to help her we need her here yeah and you know for to, to hear that about a little girl of color it's so wonderful to hear it is do you know what i mean because it is and you know, getting the support that she deserves do you know what i mean like this school is predominantly they're, they're known to be for predominantly white kids mm. so for, for to hear that like school principals want to stick their neck out for 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 a child of color it, it does it, it warms the heart mm. So let's talk about the partial custodial rights of the mother. So the same year Elisa was enrolled in preschool, a social worker signed an affidavit stating that a wilder had successfully beaten her addiction, had secured a permanent accommodation within the Rutgers housing project Mm. in the Lower East Side of Manhattan and had married a maintenance worker named Carlos Lopez, Mm -hmm. with whom she was now expecting her fourth child. Okay. In December 1990, she had given birth to a daughter named Taisha... Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Mm. She regained custody of her two eldest children. In November 1991, Arilda Lopez secured a right to obtain unsupervised visitation rights to Elisa. This ruling awarded her custody of the child every other weekend. Reportedly, Arilda's two eldest children informed relatives that throughout these unsupervised visits, Elisa would be beaten and neglected by her mother and stepmother. What? Mm-hmm. You got these are the eldest children that are informing other relatives that yo oh something's going on. I'm gonna give another trigger warning again. This 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 is literally just the tip of the iceberg. So I'm giving another trigger warning. Both Elisa's father and teachers noted that the child bore bruising and other signs of physical mistreatment when she returned from these unsupervised visits. One of the locations of these injuries was Elisa's genitalia, Mm -mm. and the child did divulge that her mother had repeatedly hit her and locked her in a closet, adding that she had no desire to see her mother again. This is a small baby that's been able to say this. Small child, yeah. Her father had also noted that Elisa had begun bedwetting in addition to lose control to losing control of her bowels Aww. and would regularly experience nightmares upon learning that she had to be in the custody of her mother even for a short period of time. Another family acquaintance noted that Elisa would often vomit upon her return from these visits to her mother and refuse to enter bathrooms. Jeez. That is trauma. That is like clear trauma. Why was she still allowed to go back? to this woman after exhibiting such things Ooh. <laughs> again get ready because this story is gonna piss you off i'll tell you that now so now let's you don't play about the babies mommy do not play about the babies you don't play about the babies you don't you don't play about the kids Mm-mm. so let's draw closer to the death of the father 
Fuck. So both Gustavo Esquerdo and Elisa's teachers did inform authorities of the abuse that Elisa was enduring at the hands of her mother and stepfather. These revelations were also disclosed by Elisa herself to a social worker and her father did apply in 1992 for Abuelo Lopez's visitation rights to be seized. However, the courts had ruled that the visitation rights could continue, albeit with the conditions that Abuelo must not strike or otherwise harm her daughter. Hmm. These look, these people have a lot to answer for. They have a right lot now. to answer for when it comes to this baby. Because a you could have taken her out for. of her care and put her into the, the, the care of the system at least. Okay, okay. Thank you. In 1993, Gustavo Esquerdo formed plans to relocate with Elisa to Cuba. He is known to have purchased airline tickets for himself and his daughter, with the travel date being May 26, 1994. Mm-hmm. However, in May... Gustavo was admitted to hospital with acute respiratory complications, subsequently diagnosed as lung cancer. Gustavo Esquerdo died on May 26th on the same date that he planned to travel to Cuba with Elisa. Upon hearing news of Gustavo's death, the director of Elisa's school, Phyllis Bryce, contacted a family court judge to express grave concerns of both himself and numerous members of the school staff as to the child's safety should her mother gain custody of her. So alarm bells were already ringing. I'm not going to say anything. The let's bells just, are belling. Do you know what I mean? The flags are ready. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never get old. Honestly. So upon hearing news of Gustavo's death, Awilda applied for full permanent custody of Elisa. She was initially granted temporary custody of the child. Upon hearing the initial awarding of Elisa's temporary custody to Awilda Lopez, Elsa... Canizares, the cousin of Gustavo Esguardo, challenged the ruling and herself applied for custody of Elisa, citing the documented abuse Elisa had previously endured during the unsupervised weekend visits with her mother and the manner in which Awilda is known to have spoken to the child. Both the head teacher and the school head teacher of the school Elisa was still attended, and the Prince Michael of Greece also wrote personal letters to Judge Phoebe. Let's try that again. <laughs> Judge Phoebe Greenbaum. <laughs> what the hell was that? Skin <laughs> like girl. Do you know what I mean? Phoebe Greenbaum, opposing the initial temporary custody of Elisa awarded to Abuelda Lopez upon the death of her father and endorsing Elsa Canizara's application to obtain permanent custody of Elisa. Furthermore, in his letter to Judge Greenbaum, Prince Michael of Greece. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just really a child. I'm a child. Yeah, you are a child. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's born, but. Got down my face. Chris Michael of Greece emphasised his intentions to pay for Elisa's education at Brooklyn Friends School should Elsa be awarded with the custody of the child. Lacking sufficient funding to pay for legal legal fees, Elsa attended court hearings without any legal representation, whereas backing Awilda Lopez's application for custody was a lawyer from the Legal Aid Society and a federally funded programme. According to Elsa... At this hearing, the legal representatives for Wilder testified as to her valiant efforts to refrain from relapsing into drug use, falsely claiming that caseworkers had visited the Lopez resident and that Elisa had expressed a strong desire to live with her biological mother. Lies. All lies. Furthermore, Canizares was criticised by Wilder's legal representation at this hearing for having the nerve to try to take Elisa from her biological mother. So they tried to basically shame this family relative. Like, how dare you mm. try and take her out of this abuse? 
but how would they turn out? They're just the legal team, whatever. Mm. To this accusation, Elsa Canizares replied to the nerve was born out of fear of Elisa being placed with her mother. So let's know a little bit about Wilda Lopez. A little bit about her. She was born in 1966 and a native of Puerto Rico, one of 13 children. She grew Raw. up. In, yeah. So a sizable family. <laughs> she grew up in the heart of Bushwick, Brooklyn. Mm. Her mother, Matilde, had hopes that she would break the cycle of welfare and drugs. And Abulda was on the right path as her mother would often see her child come home with certificates and honor awards. Mm. So she was a straight A student. She was doing well when she moved like to, to New York. Mm. Abulda wasn't swayed until she became an adolescent and came across what would be her childhood sweetheart, Ruben Rivera. It's always a man up in the mix, man, for fuck's sake. You gotta have the strength and the wolf on. Because he's gonna tell you fall. But. Guys, <laughs> you gotta do better, man. We gotta do better. We gotta actually, do better. We've actually gotta do better. It's always, there's always one, innit? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Honestly. So she would soon get pregnant and move into the Knickerbocker Avenue estate. Soon, that was a word for, and I'm so glad that I did that. <laughs> soon dropping out of school. She would go on to have three kids, Rubenisto and Casey. So those were the first two that she had before Elisa came along. She became a slave to crack cocaine as the epidemic hit the streets in the 1980s. Awilda would spend her welfare money on getting high and neglecting her kids. Mm -mm. Due to rent arrears, she was soon evicted. She spent the rest of her time in homeless shelters where she would meet Gustavo, Elisa's father, and Elisa was soon conceived. So the escalation of abuse. But she finally had a good dad, man. A good man to look after this baby you know like that so the escalation of abuse upon being awarded the full custody of her daughter Awarda withdrew Elisa from the private school which they love to do when abuse comes she had been attending mm. and enrolled her into Manhattan's public school 126 where Elisa was quickly observed to be withdrawn emotionally disturbed uncommunicative mm. and she would urinate frequently oh baby the principal of the school noted that Elisa bore numerous bruises, walking in apparent difficulty, and had evidently been tearing out sections of her hair. On March 14, 1995, an anonymous letter was posted to the Manhattan Child Welfare Authorities. The author of this letter stated that Awilda Lopez had cut off much of Elisa's hair and had begun locking her in a dark room for extensive periods of time. Six days later, Elisa was mit- admitted to hospital with a fractured shoulder the wound having been untreated for three days. And at this point, we're not saying, let's take her into welfare. We're not saying, let's take her into the system. We're still giving her back to the parents. This is what I can't stand about social fucking services. Like, I really, like... Yeah. I, I, know, they, I know they work hard and they, they do as much as they can, but, guys, the flags are, are red in for real. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, they've been red in. There's a prince that's they even paying for her to go to private school and you've taken her out of the school to go to a public school for what? Like why, you guys can't you guys can't afford that school. You have a great person that's a, 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 that's allowing her to be in a school till the twelfth grade. She's she's any. I don't understand why would you want to withdraw her from that to then put her into a public school. And to me, like I just believe that if a whole family, especially the paternal family, is making a song song and dance, and you're getting anonymous letters, and yeah. you're getting teachers that are showing concern, Fam. like. At what point are you just kind of like... Because I believe that with a lot of social services, they don't like removing kids from the mother. Yeah, that's, that's the... the but that, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I get I get that we want to do our... You know, let's keep them with the mother. And, you know, more time, that's fantastic. But if the mother is problematic... I don't care whether she's your mother or not. I'm sorry. There you go. There you go. God forbid. But, you know, pin back your luggers because it's only about to get worse, by the way. 
The increasing concerns of staff at Public School 126 regarding evident abuse were also reported to the Manhattan Child Welfare Authorities. Reportedly, the Manhattan Child Welfare Authorities soon replied to the school that their concerns were not reportable due to a lack of direct evidence of child abuse or neglect. Mm. As such, this report was rejected. Hmm. A lot of blood on your hands, baby. Exactly, I'm sorry. You've got a lot to answer for. Exactly. A further factor in this decision was the fact that Elisa had been under court-ordered caseworker supervision in response to the school having reporting the suspected abuse of the daughter to the Manhattan Child Welfare Authorities and a subsequent home visit by the staff at the school. A warder by this time, known to have reverted back to smoking regular crack cocaine, withdrew Elisa from the school completely in December of 1994 and she made no effort to enroll Elisa in any other school. So she's now taking her from private school to state school to state school to nothing. To nothing. And the flags are still not... We and we and we. Right. Reportedly, despite the fact that in addition to having by this time born six kids, three of whom were born after Elisa, a wilder targeted Elisa for all of the abuse that she inflicted upon her children. After withdrawing her from school, Elisa was locked in her bedroom, was denied any opportunity to socialise with her siblings or to leave the apartment and was denied access to the toilets, being forced to use a chamber pot. Chamber pot is kind of like a makeshift like, like toilet. This lady needs to be slapped the fuck up and worse. I don't condone violence for my telling? God. Who are you telling? Neighbours also reported hearing sounds of Elisa being beaten and otherwise abused, later reporting Elisa's repeatedly pleading with her mother to stop hitting her, crying out please such as, Mummy, Mummy, please stop, no more, I'm sorry. Oh, poor baby. Some neighbours did report their suspicions of child abuse to child welfare authorities. However, no effective action was taken. The, the, the paternal family is calling. The, the neighbours are calling. The, the school is calling. What else do you not want? It's like, it's like, I, I always bring up this case, the Victoria Klimby case, mm. where this child was, was, what, nine, eight, nine? And she had a wig on, and then the, there were several burns, and, and they, instead of looking into it because they didn't want to look into it, they were like, oh, well, she's got scurvy. And, you know... Prophetic in, in this she, day and age. Exactly. She, you know, how... When, when her, her aunt wasn't there, she was running around the, the halls and everything with so much happiness and blah, blah. But the moment her, her aunt would get there, she'd tense up. Yeah. Like, why, why, why is that not being... Protect kids, man. Yeah. Just protect awesome. kids, for fuck's sake. Like, oh, God. But, yeah, um, to a much lesser degree... Wait, blah, blah, blah. To a much lesser degree, her siblings endured but failed to notify authorities. Some neighbours noted that a wilder would refer to her child as a, excuse the term because this is really offensive, a mongoloid, which is sometimes used to... Was she half black and half... Um... She was Cuban and Puerto Rican. Ah, okay. Um, but the term mongoloid was something that um, people used to say mm-hmm. back in the day to um, refer to people with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And a filthy little whore who had been placed under the spell by her father. Now, one thing that I will say that I get from this is this is a very cinderella story. Yeah. And I believe that the mum, whether she wants to admit or not, was very envious of her child because the dad was... I hate that. You know, like, the dad wasn't a wealthy man, but the dad was so great enough to offer her a great life to build a bond with a prince from another country. Fam. Do you under, like, so I think she was genuinely envious. Like, yeah. I, I believe she envied her child. And she's, she's, this child is having a better life than she could have ever had. 
and you, you but know. that's what that's the annoying thing is because as parents that's what you always your parents always tell you i want to give you a better life than <coughs> i ever had so when your child's finally having that mm. what you're you're mad at your child because you didn't get the same upbringing that she did so you want to give her something worse of course it's and insanity I, and it's course. sick and I, and i think this has a lot of um hints of colorism as well because mm. um the mum, I'll post the pictures up on Instagram, but the, the mum is like an Afro-Latina. Mm. Like, she she has... And the child is... She has the long hair. She's of pale skin. Mm. And I, I definitely believe that col- colorism definitely comes to play. Yeah, I mean, colorism within a lot of, of, of women does is quite deep-rooted <coughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a story for a different day, but I know that yeah. that can really... Do, it, it manifests and it can come out in... Um, in, in a number of ways um 100 so but it's never an excuse especially not for this kind of absolute despicable like behavior disgusting no she's a sick she's a sick bitch like and i'm still not done <laughs> a resentment a resent let's try that again <laughs> a representative from the federally funded parenting program had endorsed a wilder's initial motion to to achieve sole custody of her daughter also reported that a wilder had herself phoned him complaining that her daughter was unable to control her bladder or bowels had to cut off her hair and was apparently drinking from the toilet so the mother was making these reports i believe she was trying to save her own skin yeah well Mirag, if if your child is doing that then what does it say about you that's what i'm saying but they never did that though they never see that so in response to this phone call from Rewilder, this representative did, a call, did call a representative from the Manhattan Child Welfare Authorities who rebuffed his request to visit the Lopez residence. Oh, this. Other indignities, hopefully that's how you say it, mm-hmm. and abuse inflicted by Rewilder upon her daughter, some of which were witnessed by Elisa's siblings, included repeated punching and kicking, forcing the child to eat her own feces or drink ammoniated water oh. whopping the floor with elisa's head and face inflicting burns upon the child's head face lips and body sexually violating her both vaginally and anally with a hairbrush or toothbrush Jesus. and dropping a chest of drawers on her ring oh finger my and God. toe no no this is just no yeah Awilda's partner carlos lopez himself also a regular user of drugs, is known to have repeatedly physically abused and neglected Elisa and her two older siblings, primarily due to the fact that none of the three were his biological children. Yeah. That that happens with other fucking scumbags too, which is just like, well, you're not my kids, I'll treat you how I want to treat you. Insanity as well, because I can't even imagine... Uh, I can't even imagine even wanting to ever treat a child like that, whether I know you or not. It's, it's yeah. just, it's sick. Sick, 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 sick. I don't believe in bullying kids, you know what I mean? I'm a grown-ass woman. Like, I, I don't believe in bullying kids. I'm, I'm not, like, so. it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand how you would even want to bully somebody that couldn't even, it's not even half of you, bro. I wouldn't even want to be around someone that bullies their own child. Ugh. That's, if, they that would, that ugh. To, if they can do that to my baby, like, they, they, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, if, if they uh, do that to their own child, yeah. I know for a fact that, it you know, says my child a lot. off. It says a lot. You think I'm leaving my child with you? That it all comes back to that thing of again, like I said to you about that that poor baby that was, um, that went over to uh, their friend's house, and never returned. Oh God! You cannot oh, just be going story. to any people because some people are just they're just 
next type of people still next type of, I, I don't even know if you could call them people disgusting yeah my mom didn't play about, about with the sleepover shit no nah. she, she didn't play about with and the let me tell you shit. one thing when i become a mother i will not be playing about no fucking sleepover shit either I, I i i know and and I've, I've read way too many of these cases for me to ever try well for me to, and the thing is you, i guess you do try and take precautions and you know anything could happen but huh my child will not be going to anybody's uh sleepover un- unless i know your mom inside out I'm sorry. I mean, here's how I say: I've got about, I've got what two or three best friends, and I know I can trust them with my life, so I wouldn't really be worried about that. Mm. But I don't care if you're a work colleague, and I've known you for for, for five years. No, I'm sorry because I don't know what you're doing work. when you get home. Ex- exactly. I'm sorry. Exactly. And, and it's no, it's no, it's no, it's uh, no negative intent. It's just like, babes, I just don't know you like that. Still, <laughs> I don't, I just don't trust you like energy, that. Man. You That's it. Energy. You gotta protect your babies. Exactly. Because the same way that you know, you can sit there and be like, I would never do this. Like the first someone, someone could dead ass look you in the face and. and want to do that with a child yeah because not even to get you know personal or anything but um my mum my mum left me in in the trusted hands of of a family member and unfortunately i was molested so to me it's just like i'm pretty sure that my mom was sitting there thinking you know I would never have thought that would happen to my child and whatnot because I've known this person for so long. Yeah. And hey ho. And that's the thing. It's like you can try and take as much precaution as you can. That's what I'm saying. Like anything, unfortunately, could happen. People yeah. are very much able to be sh- uh, sheep in um, wolves in sheep's yeah. uh, in, in sheep's clothing. Yeah. But um, yeah, I it's it wrong, I no, no, <laughs> it, it, it is wolves in sheep cl- in sheep's clothing. I'm just really t- really much. It's up. fine. I'll, I'll be great. No, no, I'll be right <laughs> off, I promise. <laughs> just slurring over here. Oh dear. Okay, I'll be quick. I promise. Um, so let's talk about the murder. Oh. So on November fifteenth. I'm sorry. Sorry. Sometimes when even though you know what's gonna happen in these stories, you just always kind of have a glimmer of hope. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's so sad. But sorry. Carry on. It's sad. On November fifteenth, Carlos Lopez, the stepdad, was jailed in relation to violate to a violation of parole. Seven days later, on the evening of November 22nd, a warder phoned one of the sisters, Mercy Torres, to report that Elisa was, excuse the term, like retarded on the bed, with fluid later determined to be brain fluid leaking from her nose and mouth. In addition, Lopez informed her sister that Elisa would not eat or drink. When Mrs. Torres insisted that a warder take Elisa to the hospital, a warder replied she would think about it, after she'd finished cleaning the dishes. She used to think about all of that and more in jail, bitch. What are you telling? The following morning, a warder contacted a neighbour... Sorry. <laughs> a warder contacted a neighbour whom she invited to view Elisa's lifeless body. Upon being unable to lo- locate the signs of life, this neighbour told a warder to call the police, which she refused to do. In response, this neighbour immediately called the police and an ambulance as a wilder threatened to commit suicide. In custody, a wilder initially confessed to having thrown Elisa headfirst into a concrete wall oh. two days prior to her contacting her neighbour, adding that Elisa had neither talked nor walked after this incident. Yeah, well, if you throw somebody into a bloody concrete wall, what the hell what do you think is going to happen? What do you expect? Thank you. A subsequent autopsy revealed that numerous injuries, including broken fingers, one bone of which protruding through the skin... A broken toe, damage to in- internal organs, oh. deep welts, and burns across the head, face, and body. Oh. In addition, her genitalia and rectum also bore evidence of trauma, oh. including tearing. Poor baby. Mm-hmm. 
30 circular marks upon her body were found to be impressions left by the stone in the ring of the individual who had struck Elisa. Forensically, it was proven that the injuries she had sustained over a prolonged period of time. Let's see the sentencing. Hmm. So, Wilder Lopez... No sentences ever enough for that something. Never enough. On June 25th, 1996, Wilder Lopez pleaded guilty to the second-degree murder of her daughter in a hearing held before Judge Alving Schleinsinger. Schlesinger. Let's see. Hopefully that's the right surname. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> At the New York State Supreme Court, Lopez pleaded guilty to this deal offered by the prosecution team with the knowledge that she would become eligible for parole after serving a 15 years imprisonment. The following month, Judge Schlesinger sentenced Abuda Lopez to a term of 15 years to life imprisonment. Prior to former sentencing, Judge Schlesinger openly criticised the child welfare system within New York, mm. stating, we have not created procedures to do everything necessary to protect the young and vulnerable yeah. in this society. The system has failed to protect our babies, and don't tell me how much it costs. If anything is to become of this horrendous tragedy, mm. then it will be we give priority to these babies. Yeah. Although Awilda initially became eligible for parole in 2010, she has remained incarcerated since August 1996. And she needs to remain there. And then some. Uh, Lopez was recently denied parole in July 2020. Her next scheduled parole hearing is to be held in January 2022. As of 2021, she remains incarcerated at the maximum security Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women. (coughs) Excuse me. She should be getting banged up every day in there, you know. Every day she be, should be getting slapped up. Sorry. Every Honestly. day. We do not play with the babies. Uh-uh. We don't. So let's talk about the stepdad, Carlos Lopez. So October 29th, 1996, Elisa's stepfather, Carlos Lopez, was sentenced to serve between one and a half and three years in prison to run consecutive with the sentencing he was serving at the time of Elisa's death. This sentence was in relation to one specific instance of physical abuse dating from October 31st, 1995, in which she had repeatedly banged Elisa's head against a concrete wall in the presence of her siblings. Although Carlos Lopez pleaded guilty to this charge of attempted second-degree assault, claiming he did not actually assault Elisa, but had opted to do so to spare his children the emotional trauma to having to testify against him. Judge Schlesinger um, rejected his claim outright, adding that the prosecution team had largely chosen to charge Carlos Lopez with his charge to spare Elisa's siblings any further um, trauma. He don't care about them babies. None of them. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. This is too long, so I won't be reading this. But um, the siblings, her five siblings were raised in separate foster homes, reportedly all suffered from acute psychological trauma due to an extreme physical, mental and sexual abuse that they had been forced to witness inflicted upon their sister. So I'm going to be a bit quick about the outrage because I've gone over time. But... um, there was a lot of public outrage. A lot of people were really upset about the judge that had ruled that, you know, she should stay in the favour of um, the mother instead of a relative because, mm. you know, it resulted in something that was so tragic. Um, this story was featured in Time, you know, the Time magazine. Mm-hmm. It moved a lot of people in not just New York, all over the world. You know, it was just a really tragic Cinderella story. It's, it's just really sad. And um, if you guys ever have the time to ever look up Elisa Esquerdo, and you can kind of see the interview that the um, the mother had with a daytime host, and she still denies it. She um, <laughs> she doesn't understand what happened. She's not involved. Like um, 
and it's just it's just sad it's just sad um, poor baby this is the, yeah this is this is a special place in 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 hell for a wilder lopez and you know if 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 there is a god he'd keep her in there yeah amen that's it for me that's the murder of elisa Esquerda. that was really amazing i'm sorry <laughs> i took so long to do my story today i'm it's still fine. not feeling that well it's but fine. um that story was so tragic and you told it, it beautifully so it rest in peace Thank to you. this baby poor baby and um yeah so guys um we still need some people to come over and tell us a couple of stories you got any stories have you ever been defrauded um <laughs> have you ever shoplifted it's not funny <laughs> it's not you know have you ever put like a car in a man's name or a woman's uh, please be sure to let oh. us know just as long as you don't incriminate yourself it will all be okay and um yeah that's it that's it for me today um Thank you, Manet, for plucking up the courage to come today. I know you're not feeling your best. Well, thank you for having me, babes. And uh, listen to my long ass story. I know it took a lot longer than usual, but um, yeah, can't wait for next time. And hopefully, you'll be feeling on the mend. Love it. And uh, we'll be back with more stories on True Crime MC. Love it, love it. Um, I'm Cindy. I'm Manet. And this is True Crime MC. Enjoy your evening. Bye. Bye-bye.